Hi everyone, John Pajetta here with PT Services Group. Hope you're doing well. Welcome back to another episode of the PT Buzz. And today's a special conversation with Bill Kite. And Bill's a producer in the health and welfare space out of Roanoke, Virginia. He's affiliated with United Benefit Advisors. And as always in these conversations, we try and bring to you things that are different, unique, have a special feel to them. And this has just that. It's a conversation around a healthcare collaborative that he started back in 2012, 2013. And it's just an interesting conversation around how it came to be, the growing pains that he experienced over the years, and what he's looking at going forward in terms of concerns and opportunities. And it's just a great dialogue. How are you doing today, Bill? I'm doing great, John. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Am I right in saying you're in Roanoke? Yep. Roanoke, Virginia. Um, I've grown up a Virginian. I apologize to any of those folks out there who have seen our state go from red to blue, but uh, (laughs) we're still trying to hang in. (laughs) Right. No doubt. No doubt. So what's the size of Roanoke these days? Uh, Surrounding area, incorporating uh, Virginia Tech, which... um, as the crow flies, is about 15 minutes, uh, about 200,000 people. 200,000. Okay. So for those who are uh, not familiar with the layout of Virginia, you are southwest of D.C. and due west of Richmond. That is correct. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, rather than me trying to, to talk about you, can you can you tell everybody a little bit about your background, what, you got, what got you into the health and welfare space? And um, let's just start with some of those basics. Well, I just uh, out of college, uh, went to work for a company in New York called The Equitable. And from there, uh, I was selling life insurance and an opening came in the benefits field and I jumped in it and I liked it. It was a lot more fun talking to the owners of businesses. And um, from there, just progressed. Um, I was transferred into the Roanoke area. Love the area, love the mountains. Great place to raise a family. Decided to stay here, and uh, and then I've done I've just done employee benefits since since uh, in the late seventies. Late seventies, okay, good stuff. So one of the reasons for everybody's benefit that I wanted to spend some time with Bill is he has a unique structure to how he engages with with business owners and decision makers, and uh, you position it as a healthcare collaborative. Is that is that correct, Bill? Yes, uh, I was uh, invited to be part of a, a big organization called United Benefit Advisors. There was 130 of us independent owners, and um, we were on the very early side of PPACA, and we were actually called on Capitol Hill, and we did some testimonials with them. And the concerns that we had um, with what they were trying to accomplish, um, we saw that it was going to hurt small employers especially those that had a large male population because of the difference in the uh, male-female rates at that time. And so um, our concern was is that uh, with this legislation, if it passed, there was going to be a lot of revenue provisions in it, and we were going to find those small groups are going to end up paying the lion's share of the cost. So there had to be a better alternative. And those of us in the business had done something called self-funding for years, didn't know a whole lot. Um, we, we knew about it in the large market space, but we didn't know how we were going to take it down to smaller groups. And so um, as we started figuring out what to do, that was pretty much the brainchild of, of forming a collaborative 
and getting many companies together, um, viewing them as one risk. And that we were hoping was going to control the cost of healthcare going forward. And for a lot of our clients, uh, they have been very blessed that we came up with that concept. Yeah. When you say smaller groups, can you define that for us? Well, in the original legislation, in the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act, each state had to decide what the definition of small was. It looked like it was going to be two to 100 uh, after they did all their fussing. I think it only ended up that two states ended up being two to 100. Uh, the rest of them um, went to two to 50. And so we were just looking for a product that was going to basically help those uh, small employers two to 100 uh, just to collectively uh, get together. Uh, we knew that self-funding on a group that had few people was almost like a ticking time bomb. Uh, then I later learned when I met my actuary that we use uh, what credible coverage was, and I mean, what credible risk was. And uh, we learned that, you know, they can do some crazy things, these actuaries, when you give them a thousand bits of data. <laughs> You give them a thousand employees with zip codes and their dates of birth, and they can tell you within a few hundred dollars what the claims are going to be and how they do it. I don't know, nor do I want to. But the point is, is that if we could have some kind of a scale and put enough companies together to get to that thousand, then we had predictability. And that was security for those small employers. And that was one thing that the small health insurance business sorely needed was security because these folks sometimes don't know where they're going to have the funds to make the next paycheck. And so if we could make it a little bit more predictable on the cost of healthcare, we had something really special. Yeah. You had a big win for them, no doubt. And then you, you branded it as cherry tree. Can you talk a little bit about how that came to be? Um, uh, the actuary that uh, we met um, Rick bird, it was kind of a product, uh, product that he'd come up with or a process he'd come up with in 1991 and he put an association together and it worked very well and he just called it the cherry tree uh, collaborative and we like the name and we certainly couldn't use the, the, the phrase exchange because <laughs> because ppaca ruined that word forever took that the first, you, no doubt in the first two years so we uh we decided that we weren't going to use that since they, they were failing like crazy. And uh, so anyway, the collaborative, that really is what it is. You really, you ask people to engage, you teach them how to engage, you teach them how to um, get health care at the appropriate levels. And what's been so much fun is, is that the employees really like being part of the solution Yeah, because it's a big hit out of their paycheck when they're paying for the cost of, their health insurance premiums each month. So um, I thought we had a home run. Sure, sure. So put, put that on a timeline for me. When, when, when was it live? Let's think about it that way. Well, we started the thought process in 2013. Um, it took us a long time to find an actuary and a reinsurance carrier that would play ball with us. Um, then we had to find uh, a third-party administrator that we, we thought was worthy, and we, had, we wanted someone that had a lot of years of experience. So we actually wrote our first group of 17 employees 
Hmm. on uh, December the 1st of 2014. And we did file with the Commonwealth of Virginia at the Bureau of Insurance just to let them know what we were doing. So that, you know, they couldn't endorse us, obviously, but they could say, you do meet all the qualifications and you've got everything in line. And they even said they wished us luck. So I, you know, we, that was kind of (laughs) neat. No doubt. No doubt. So when you think back to 2013, 2014 and and that 12-1 and somebody coming in and making the commitment, did you have a vision as to what it would look like today, six, seven, eight years later? And are you close to that or how pace that? I would say that we had a little bit of a school of hard knocks. We grew very quickly in the first couple of years. And then we soon learned that some of the partners that we were using really weren't strong enough in the space. Hmm. And so, uh, and then we found some of the original clients that we brought on board with Cherry Tree um, didn't continue to educate and didn't continue to let us help. And then all of a sudden we saw some of the loss ratios and things increase. And then when um, we had to go out and find new vendor partners that could handle uh, the growth that we were having, um, that's kind of when uh, a few people left Cherry Tree. Uh, it might have might have been because we didn't we weren't quite as competitive on the renewal as we should have been. I'll just leave it that way. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, has it grown to where I thought it would be right now? No. Uh, will it get there? Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, the, the players and the vendor partners that we've had uh, for the last uh, 15 or 16 months are unbelievable. And in all my years in this business, um, we have a great back room. It, it amazes me, John, just how many people there are when you take the reinsurance carriers and the TPAs and all the little specialty boutique operations that we have to audit claims and and help us through the entire process it may involve as many as 450 500 people Hmm. Uh, so it's it's a it's a large endeavor we're very blessed with the partners that we have and uh, again i have clients that uh, wouldn't want to leave this for the world because it's been so beneficial for them Sure, sure. One thing you mentioned in there kind of jumped out at me, and I think this is true for a lot of us that run any kind of service business where somebody comes on board and everything seems to line up well for all involved. But when the uh, when the time starts to play out and the implementation and the consistency of that implementation comes into play, not everybody sort of stays in the process in the right way to get the benefits that upfront everybody was thinking would come out of that. Is that kind of what you're describing where the execution didn't continue for some of those groups? Yes, but I would also say it was the growing pains partly our fault that maybe we didn't ask some people to be part of the Cherry Tree Collaborative. Maybe we made a mistake in asking them to be part of it because they weren't going to fulfill some of the requirements and the things that we need to have done. Sure. The, the The whole science of healthcare is, is that if you can teach people how to use healthcare effectively, be great consumers like they are in everything else in their life and teach them how. But it's just so infrequent. Um, 
They say, I think actuarially, that only about 15 or 16 percent of the people actually meet their deductible in a given year. Well, you could do the, you can do the best employee meetings in the whole world. And these people may not even have only 15 percent of those people are going to have a claim. And how many of those people are going to wait until the 10th or the 11th month after you've had that meeting um, to have that claim if they do? So, you know, it's just a very, very moving target that you prepare people as best you can. But are they going to know exactly what to do at the time of their crisis? Uh, no. And that's something else we built later into Cherry Tree with the help desk and having people call in when they need it. And that's made a huge difference because now all of a sudden they know they've got help at their fingertips. Sure, sure. Well, it's an interesting commentary. I don't know if you uh, had a chance yet, but um, Malcolm Gladwell put out a new book called The Bomber Mafia. Have you seen that or read that by chance? I have not. So there's a line in there when the, when the Air Force was still part of the Army back in the 30s. It, they talked about a motto they had where they said, real progress only comes when you're unhindered from custom. And what he was saying was the custom of the army was very limiting for them. And what you're describing is we've all had this customary process of how we garner our health needs, coverage, share, all that kind of stuff. And it's hard to think differently about it. And that's, that's tough. And the unfortunate thing about uh, COVID is there weren't many people that gave telemedicine or virtual care uh, much of a chance. But between March and April of uh, 2020, all of a sudden, that industry just was turned up on its, it was turned upside down because sure. it had a growth of 4,000% in that 30-some day period. And so then how did all these companies have enough doctors on staff, enough, uh, the, the proper pricing, um, it just, there was a lot of things that you know, they had to grow up in a very, in a very short period of time. Quickly, no doubt. So when, when you think about Cherry Tree, and, and I, don't, I don't know what kind of timeline to think it on, three, five, 10 years, what do you see coming and what do you see as some of the, the hurdles or struggles and opportunities that you'll have coming up? Well, I think ours has been extremely successful. In 2020, Cherry Tree returned 30.8% of the total annual premiums to our clients. Now I know claims were down because of COVID, but still, if you take, uh, you know, if, if your annual premium is a million dollars and at the end of the year, you've got a little over 300,000 left over, that's a pretty sweet deal. So um, for me, it's been selecting the right clients to be part of our collaborative. Yeah. And then once we get in there, we know that we can educate the people that are chronically ill that, you know, maybe are not getting the appropriate levels of care. We can help them. Um, just to give you an example of what happened yesterday, um, John, a guy called up, a client of mine for a couple of years, and he said, Bill, I take a seizure medication. And it's $320 a month. Can you help me? Well, of course, I asked, give me the name of the medication and the milligrams, turned it over to the, one of the folks in the office. Within 15 minutes, we got his medication for the next two years at $20 a month. Hmm. You, call, you call the guy up, you tell him what's going on, and they can hardly get the thank you out because what does 300 and 
I, th- I think the savings for him were exactly $330. But $330 to a family every single month for two years, that's a big deal. It's a big number. And, yeah. And so those kind of things are available. They, the people just need the coaching. They need the education. And I think that's the biggest thing we try to do with Cherry Tree is educate folks. Oh, that's good stuff. Um, when you think about other producers, advisors like yourself in the field who – Obviously, many of them have been around it. They probably, to some degree, certainly in your network of UBA, heard your story to some extent, at, at the least. Um, for somebody looking to do something like this in their space, is there something you'd say, hey, these are the, this is where I'd start, or these are the things to keep in mind? Because you mentioned the, the learning curve you've had and the things that have gone on, and um, that experience has to be incredibly valuable for somebody that may want to consider doing um, just what you're doing now and, and trying to, to replicate it to some degree? Well, I think that everybody should have their little special place to put those special clients that really engage. And that's what Cherry Tree has become for us. Of course, we don't write every single case and put them in Cherry Tree, but there's, there's other carriers out there that are a lot bigger that uh, I've either worked for or been part of for a long time. But uh, you know, I think everybody could do their own thing. Um, regionally, you find a really, really good TPA that you like working with, and you know that they price things well. Um, reference-based pricing is certainly can be a part of this. Um, we don't normally lead with reference-based pricing, but my point is, is that anybody based upon your market, and that's one thing we learned with UBA when we were working on PPACA, Healthcare is delivered differently in every part of this country. Yep. Uh, and so we just need to make sure that in your market, you have learned how to be a survivor. If you're independent, you know what it takes to, to live there, work there, be successful there. But you could definitely adapt this kind of a product and take those groups that are just really in tune to managing the health of their employees and taking care of them. And making sure they have, uh, they're able to come to work. There's all kinds of things that you can do to build these programs. We, you know, anybody who wants to reach out, we would show you how to do that. But um, it's a great opportunity for anybody who's trying to do something in their own community. Yeah. Um, when you, when you think about Uncle Sam and and your commentary early on about testifying and framing and and. <laughs> You know, all the oddities that can come out of Washington, D.C. that, that impact all of us. Um, what do you, uh, I guess, what, what do you worry about coming out or, or what makes you pause with, with some of the things that you're doing or uh, concerns you, keeps you up at night? How you want to view that? Because uh, who knows what tomorrow will bring coming out of Washington, D.C. I'm laughing because the rude awakening is, is that I was asked and there was eight of us in a van that picked us up at the airport and they took us into Capitol Hill and we were going to have these private meetings and we walk into these private meetings. Now, uh, you know, I've got gray hair, but I think the oldest person we sat in front of in those meetings besides the legislator was about 25 or 26 years old. And I was just trying to think, gosh, how in the world you people never have never made a payroll. You've never worried about, the next payday coming up and your check from Blue Cross Blue Shield didn't come in to cover your costs. I think that's the thing that scares me the most is what comes out of Washington. They just don't have the day-to-day 
uh, experience that we've had. They haven't had they haven't had that client come up and or the employee come up and said, "My ten thousand dollar bill didn't get paid. What do we do?" And so those are the things that Congress scares me the most of is sometimes they put some things in place that they really don't know how it affects real people. Yeah, the unintended consequences are uh, can be intense, say the least. So yeah. So. Um, Let's go back to the industry side for a moment. We've seen a, a fair bit of consolidation. A lot of the uh, producers and advisors we work with and have for years are no longer independent. Maybe a Gallagher or One Digital came along and wrote a check. Um, what, what do you see happening in that space over the next several years? Do you see more consolidation? Do you see it slowing or even reverting a little bit? No, I don't. I think uh, equity fund managers, when they're not getting much of a return, are going to always be looking for something else. And my dear friends at UBA that have left UBA, uh, maybe because um, they had a very nice equity offer, you know, they built a practice. They made a lot of money for this, their family and their kids, and maybe the next generation as well. They have to look at these things, but these are still going to be equity funds or management that's going to roll these things up every three years or so. Mm-hmm. And my fear is, is that those of us that are on the front line that feel all the pain, we're basically the family practice of healthcare. Um, I think that's going to go away because I think they're becoming more of sales organizations. And sometimes there are some people that you have to sit face to face with to hear their pain and to see their pain and to solve their problem. And sometimes that's not, that's not always over an 800 telephone number um, or somebody who's uh, doing customer service from afar. I think that's the thing that, that bothers me the most. And then um, I like this bottom up kind of mentality. When we see things, we go get some smarter people than we are and we help fix it. Yep. And sometimes these bigger organizations, Sean, it scares me that it's more of a top-down kind of a thing. Now, I'm not saying that's the way all the equity f- firms have done it. Some of them have left people alone. But what does this do to legislation and fixing things in, in the future when you have fewer people that are up there advocating for small business? So those are the kind of things, John, that I'm worried about. Yeah. It's tough in the medical field. We, we personally, my family and I, we have a lot of uh, friends who are doctors in the local community and, and affiliated with the major brands here in Pittsburgh. And um, not too long ago, I went in for a checkup. And one of the things I caught was the staff literally had me on a clock. <laughs> and it was a question of how efficient was the doctor being in turning patients through the process and uh, it really takes away that personal side. And I reached out to a, one of our friends and he referred me to somebody else. And, and that gentleman literally spent 45, 50 minutes with me going through things, making sure I felt good about it, um, asked me to email him in a couple of days. And I figured maybe he'll follow up on that. Maybe he won't. And I sent him an email. And five minutes later, I got one back with a couple more questions and just a, an incredible attention to detail, but really to me as a human. And you'd be hard pressed for me to ever go anywhere else from that type of experience versus being put on a clock. And so I think there's a lot of aspects that like what you're describing that in the medical field, uh, 
are interesting and not favorable to the user. So um, yeah, I, I can attest to what you just said. My wife and I just went through this past year and did exactly the same thing. We wanted somebody who would listen. Yep. And that's very important to us. Well, clearly that's what you're describing that you do with your people. And, and it's somebody calls you about a medication and you listen and you work through it and you, you resolve it and you have that major impact for them. And the question is, can you do that in some of those bigger organizations or not? And maybe so, maybe not. Yeah. Well, I think so. I think it's possible. There you go. There you go. So before I let you go, Bill, anything else you want to add? Uh, we're coming around to football season. Any team you particularly follow or something to take us off the beaten path of the, the health and welfare space? And- I am so tired of watching things from afar. Um, I did play a lot of golf this summer. Um, the thing I'm most excited about right now is being this close to Virginia Tech and, you know, seeing 50 or 60,000 fans crazy down there. I said, uh, it'll be certainly nice to see that place rocking and rolling again. No doubt. And getting back into uh, ACC football. That's right. Some life as we know it. So, yeah. Bill, can't thank you enough. Greatly appreciate the time. Have a good day, John. Thank you, Bill. You too. Thanks so much, everyone, for joining me with my conversation with Bill Kite. And please visit us at theptservicesgroup.com backslash buzz. You can see this episode again from Bill. If you have a comment or a thought on our conversation, please share. Uh, You'll also find other episodes that are available to listen to. And if you'd like to give us some thoughts or, or interesting ideas about future conversations, don't hesitate. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much. And we'll see you again next month. Bye now.